0: Hold on one second, I'm just going to get this piece of paper to show you. Here we go. From Gimlet Media, I'm Alex Bloomberg, and you're listening to Startup, the podcast miniseries documenting the launching of my podcast company. The business origin story you never actually hear, set down in real time. Look at this. Look at the second pitch. sorry. <laughs> this is the sound of me showing my wife, Nazneen, a signed term sheet. That is, a sheet that an investor has filled out signaling his intent to invest in my company, a podcast network focusing on narrative journalism and storytelling. The investor has filled out his name, put down his signature, and written down how much he's planning to invest.
1: Oh, my goodness. Wow. Wow. That's $100,000. Yep. Um...
0: Isn't it weird to see all those zeros?
1: Yes. I looked at all those zeros and I was like, what number is that? (laughs) That's
0: not a number that appears in nature.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I did. I looked at it and I was like, is that a million? That
0: was my first. You're listening to episode six, by the way. If you're confused about why someone wants to give me a hundred grand, you can go back and listen from the beginning. It has been a long trek up until this point, but after many fits and starts, my co-founder Matt and I finally have some momentum. Money is starting to come in, a situation which is turning my normally intensely law-abiding wife to thoughts of crime.
1: Isn't it so weird that people don't more often just steal all this money and run away? I'm not saying that's what you're gonna do. I'm just saying, isn't it weird that that doesn't happen more often? Like, people are just gonna write you all these checks.
0: You're such a. I don't understand, like, why all the why this is the one thing that turns you to crime. Like, you're so I law-abiding.
1: I know. Like, today, Alexandra and I were moving, uh, like, two boxes up yeah. to the, the new apartment, and you're not supposed to move on the weekends. And this lady who lives on the third floor was trying to just make, like, friendly conversation with me. and She was like, oh, are you moving? And I was like, no. No, I'm not moving. I'm, I'm We're moving on Thursday. We're just taking a couple of boxes up. We're not moving... <laughs> I was, I was just like... Because
0: you're terrified of breaking any rule. Yes. Except apparently the rule about stealing investor money.
1: I know. I guess it's like, if you're going to break a rule.
0: (laughs) Now, one of the key terms on this term sheet I'm showing my wife is what's called the valuation cap. And it's a key term because it answers a key question. What is the value of our company? And with existing companies, that isn't a hard question to answer at all. You look at how much revenue they're bringing in, you subtract their expenses, and you extrapolate a value from that. For existing companies with track records, coming up with a valuation is just math. But our company, in many ways, is still imaginary. How do you value that? Well, as we found out when we started showing our term sheet around to investors, the answer to that question is anything but straightforward. It has almost nothing to do with math. It's a process that involves debate and posturing and storytelling and large economic forces beyond any single person's control. So for an investor, the valuation cap is key because it answers a key question any investor would have. What am I getting for my money? How much of the company? And startup people, we should say, we know it's not the same thing. But for simplicity, we're using the term valuation cap and valuation interchangeably in this episode. Alright, so valuation. If I invest a hundred grand and the company I'm investing in is valued at two hundred grand, I've just bought myself half the company. If the company is valued at a hundred million, then my hundred grand buys me far less. Point 0.1% of the company. One one thousandth. So the valuation cap, it's a big deal.
2: I mean the key the biggest number to plug in here um, is mm-hmm. the cap and right. and that's that's sort of sets And that's sort of the cornerstone for the benefit for them.
0: This is my lawyer, Andy McCormick. And this is tape that was recorded a long time ago, back during the summer, before I'd really met with a lot of investors and before my co-founder, Matt Lieber, had come on. And I'm playing this tape now because it answers a question. How did our valuation cap get set? Our valuation cap is $10 million. And that figure goes back to this early conversation with my lawyer. Set the stage. At the time of this conversation, my lawyer had drawn up a rough draft of the term sheet, which he had sent to me. And he and I were discussing this rough draft on the phone. And in this rough draft, in the section that lays out the valuation cap, he had written $10 million.
2: Uh, the, the $10 million number I put in here is, is completely arbitrary, uh, really. I mean, we should talk about what that number should be for you. Before, certainly before we send out to investors, we'll talk about... Um, the right numbers
0: here. Okay. So how did a number that started as almost completely arbitrary end up as the final number in our term sheet? Well, my co-founder, Matt Lieber, and I talked it over. On the one hand, according to this company called AngelList, which tries to match investors with seed stage companies, the average valuation for a startup in New York is between 3 and $5 million, so a lot smaller than $10 million. But I knew a couple other media startups that had valuations in the 10 million range. And a couple of people with startup experience had told me 10 million felt about right. Ultimately, we realized the valuation, like everything in this startup world, is a story you're telling. And a $10 million valuation is just a bullish story. It's saying we're very confident that we're going to grow quickly. And within a year or two, when we have actual listeners and actual revenue, and you can use actual math to determine our value, we'll be worth twice as much. We were comfortable with that story. The question was, would our investors be? Now joining...
3: Matt Mazio.
0: Him Matt? Oh. Matt Mazio is an investor you may recognize from earlier episodes of Startup. He is Chris Saka's partner. I had gone out to California several times to pitch both of them. You can hear all about it in episodes one and two. The first time had gone pretty disastrously. The second time went a little better. And now my partner, Matt Lieber, and I we were calling back to check in. Since the last time I'd spoken to Matt Mazzio, a lot had happened. For one, I had a co-founder, Matt Lieber, and two, we'd been having a lot of meetings and, and they'd been going well. In one meeting, for example, with a guy who made a lot of money in entertainment, he actually wrote down how much he wanted to invest on a piece of paper. He folded it, dramatically slid it across the table. When we opened it, we saw the figure he'd written down, a $100,000. And many investors had committed to this term sheet, the one with the $10 million valuation cap, but some had balked. One investor we spoke to called our valuation cap aggressive, bordering on egregious. Matt Mazio didn't use those words, but he sort of agreed with the sentiment.
3: Uh, putting a 10
0: cap on a
2: on an investment that's pre-product is, candidly, you know, higher than we've seen for market. Um, almost, you know, by an order or, you know, by, by a function of two or by a factor of two. So um, the price is high. It's for a pre-launch content primarily, no real technology, and frankly still early in terms of the thinking and the, and the methodology around distribution. Um, that's, a, that's a heavy price point. Uh, that might be a limiting factor. We tend to come in at a, at a lower cap on, a, on
3: companies at this, at this stage.
0: Essentially, we were in a negotiation, a negotiation between competing stories. In investor lingo, there's a term for what stage our company was in. This was back before the Startup Podcast had been launched, remember? The term, pre-product, pre-revenue. Matt Mazio's story is that we are a standard issue pre-revenue, pre-product startup. For a company at that stage, 10 million seems high. Matt Lieber, my co-founder, countered with our own story.
2: I guess one thing to say about the the cat uh, is first to acknowledge that, yes, it, it's a, it, like, the terms are very strong terms. And we know that uh, you know, the way it's turning out is that just because of the call, like it's such a strong team. And by the way, I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about everyone bought myself. <laughs> I'm sort of the, the guy carrying the water. But um, such a strong team, so much investor inter- interest and just like a lot of buzz and momentum that it's turning out not to really be a market. It's just not like not a, not a market deal.
0: Matt also brought in some data, but he didn't use the data in the way I'd imagined. It's something to plug into a formula and arrive at a number. Matt used the data as a plot point in the story we were telling. So we didn't have a show launch, true. But at the time we were talking to Matt Mazio, I had many hours of recordings done. All the pitches to investors that I'd made, the equity negotiation between Matt Lieber and me, my wife mocking my company name choices, all that was in the can. And also by this point, I'd happened to negotiate accidentally an ad deal on the first two episodes of Startup. So we weren't the typical pre-revenue, pre-product startup.
2: When we compared it against... um like technology startups that are seeing lower caps, we just feel like it's actually, we know what the business model is. Uh, it's not as risky. The talent is there. The content is already there. And so we feel like we have a pretty good line of sight to, to, to revenue. And so, so we know it's strong and understand it's probably not going to be for everyone. Um, but that's kind of, that's where the term stands.
3: Got it um, help, walk me: through
0: We continued talking, and Matt Mazio asked lots of other it, uh, questions, a lot more about the technology, how we plan to grow our audience, a bunch of other stuff. And after the phone call, my co-founder Matt Lieber and I debriefed. He seemed to think the call had gone OK. Me, I was sure they weren't going to invest. Later that day, the investor, Matt Mazio, called me on the phone. I didn't have a chance to record the call, so after I hung up with him, I called my co-founder Matt Lieber and got him to record our conversation and I gave him the news that Matt Mazio had given me.
2: Okay, I'm recording you on speaker. All right. So, uh, I just, I, I, I just got off the phone with Matt Mazzio. Right. Uh, and, uh, and i right. They're in? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> is that great? Uh, what did he want to talk about? He just wanted to talk. What did he what are they in for? They're in for a hundred match. That's awesome. And they're fine with that term? Like we we're we're excited because they're on the table and we want to be a voice to sort of like push you on technology. I was like, That's great. They want you to be that voice.
0: That's awesome. You know? Yeah. Coming up, an investigation into the reasons Matt Mazio and Chris Saka chose to invest in our company. Plus, Ice tea, the rapper actor, not the drink, after this word from our sponsor. One thing that I didn't ask Matt Mazio back when he called me that day. Why? Why had they signed off on our deal? Why had they chosen to invest if the valuation had been so much higher than they'd liked? They're some of the most successful investors out there. They control over a billion dollars. They don't have to do anything they don't like. So why'd they invest? It was a question I'd always wondered about, but it was a little awkward to ask. But very recently, I called Chris Saka up on Skype and I put it to him. What was the backstory to them investing at our valuation?
3: What was it in the end? 10
0: or something? Yeah, it was 10 million.
3: That's absurdly high. <laughs> that was, I, you know, I didn't end up negotiating the terms of you. Matt did. But I remember when he told me it was 10 and I was like just exhausted (laughs) that's a hard price to digest
0: when i asked chris so then why did you end up investing he said well first of all it wasn't worth fighting that much over the valuation because a hundred grand to them is a pretty small deal most of chris and matt's investments these days are in the five hundred thousand to two million dollar range and chris told me something else right now our high valuation it's not that unusual startup valuations across the board are going up and up in other words We're in a startup valuation bubble.
3: I mean, I definitely think we're in a bubble. And I think part of that is because we now have a generation of investors who've never had their asses handed to them. And there aren't that many of us in Silicon Valley who were here for the last crash. I know that sounds funny because it was 1999, 2000 when this whole thing imploded. But but how many, you know, I'm 40, so how many 40-year-olds are actually in this business right now?
0: So in my previous job at Planet Money, we did a lot of reporting about bubbles. And to create a bubble, you need two conditions. Condition one, not enough fear. In other words, an entire generation of investors who doesn't remember anything bad ever happening. Check. And then condition number two, too much greed, otherwise known as ever-increasing demand. And that's also happening. So in the years after the financial crisis, people with money weren't really interested in investing in anything but the most boring, safe investments. Boring investments, of course, provide boring returns. So now that things are slowly getting better, a lot of the money that was invested in safe but boring things is looking for something more exciting. And people like Chris, they get exciting returns. If a Wall Street manager is happy with 10% returns year over year, Chris lives in the world of the 10X return. You get 10 times your money back, not just an extra 10%. Lots of folks are trying to get in on that.
3: There are tens of thousands of people who consider themselves to be angel investors. There are hundreds if not thousands thousand of these seed funds. And so all this money needs to get put somewhere. And you listening to the prior episodes, you're talking to guys who've never invested in tech before and are like, oh, hell, I'll take a flyer. It sounds fun. And so there's just this massive swirl of money all trying to find its way into these things. And the law of supply and demand dictates that the prices go up as a result.
0: So sure, Chris and Matt, they have more leverage to dictate terms than other people. But in a lot of cases, they're at the mercy of the market, like everyone else. So why did they come in on our deal? A deal, it's safe to say, that at other times in history probably wouldn't have been priced as high as it now was. For Chris, it all came down to one calculation.
3: What really matters is the multiple. So how many times my original investment am I going to get back when this company ultimately exits? So I may deeply believe in your company, but if I invest in it in a $50 million valuation and your most optimistic outcome for what this could be is a $100 million outcome, then considering the risk of investing in a startup a 2x or two times my money back probably isn't worth that math. So the challenge for us is at a 10 million dollar price and that's a 10 million dollar cap do we foresee the potential for a 10x multiple or greater and that led to a lot of internal debate because i'm not necessarily convinced
0: it was actually sort of fascinating chris talked through exactly how this debate went and as he talked it through for me i understood for the first time what a mystery i was to him me specifically Before I started all this, I never would have run in the same circles as a guy like Chris Saka. But the same thing was true for him. He did not know what to make of me, this weird 40-something public radio guy with a background that's as far from profit-driven as you can get.
3: Listening to you in person, listening to these episodes right now, you don't have that bloodthirsty ambition that a lot of our founders do to grow this company such that it's very attractive to a big media company who would potentially buy this or to the point where it's throwing off so much cash flow and continuing to grow at an accelerating rate that it becomes a very healthy sustainable business that issues dividends to its investors. So sometimes when I talk to you I get signals that yes you are on your way to grow and, and build what could be a massive media company. And other times, I get the sense you really just want to make art and have this break even.
0: I assured Chris that if I'd wanted to break even, I could have just stayed in public radio. But he was making this larger point, which is, this is why I was confusing to him. This was what the debate was about. Who was I? Did I possess the soul of an entrepreneur or an artist? And to make things even more confusing for Chris and Matt, if I was an artist masquerading as an entrepreneur, could that turn out to be profitable?
3: It probably works well for you and is what builds a great community of listeners for you. And that's why people respect you. You're not out there to just drain the whole system of every resource and squeeze every possible dowry you could from these advertisers and jam your entire show up with as many ads as it could possibly fit. right? So you have a great balance for balance. I, I do think you have a huge audience supported by the traction already. It's been fun to see you in the top three podcasts on iTunes since the day started. And and that's where, as much as I tease you, I think your art is really valuable here. And I think you understand this community way better than any of the rest of us do. Um, That's why you can get away with calling it Gimlet Media.
0: (laughs) Chris, as you may have just deduced, was not a fan of the name we chose in the last episode, Gimlet. I told him that it was his partner that helped push us off our original name of APC. Chris said, I never actually had a problem with that name. Investors. Anyway, the thing that finally got he and Matt comfortable with the idea of investing in us at our valuation was the informal relationship I had with Planet Money and with This American Life. The fact that I knew what it takes to put together something that'll work on those shows, that for years that had been my sole job, getting stuff on those shows, that was my unfair advantage.
3: Going back to our original discussion, I do think you have one unfair advantage. And that is that you got to piggyback off of the distribution of one of the most successful shows in the history of radio, and as a result, right off the bat, you are in the top three podcasts on iTunes, like to just come right out of the gate and start like that is unprecedented, and Ira Glass, I hope he's on your holiday list, I hope you sent him a nice fruitcake or something, but to get involved with a company where right at the seed stage of investing. You already have the distribution that would be reflective of a really successful media company a year and a half from now. That's how we ultimately wrapped our heads around this valuation, is that we said, if we believe in that distribution boost that you're going to get, and we had to pull the trigger before we knew that that was really going to be the case, but if we believe that's the case, then we can get comfortable valuing you like a C C+.
0: We talked for a little bit more and then Chris said, actually, you know what? Seed plus, it isn't quite right.
3: Instead of seed plus, we could actually think about you as like a sprout. Like there was a little piece of, of leaf sticking above the surface of the soil. Like a $10 million little leaf right there.
1: Welcome to the Ice Tea Final Level Podcast, featuring your co host, Mick Benzo, and your host,
3: Ice Tea. Hey, yo, what's up? This is Ice-T and Mick Benzo, and you're listening to the Final Level Podcast. We are very honored today to have uh, our special guest, Alex Bloomberg. And, uh, you know, he
0: comes walking through my door with a microphone, headsets, and some recording device. I thought that having Chris Saka and Matt Mazio on board would be a turning point for us, would be the key to getting the rest of our money. And it probably would have been, but soon after they came on board, something else happened that changed things for good. On September 5th, 2014, the first episode of this podcast, Startup, came out. Among the many new things that came about as a result was this, my appearance on the amazing Final Level podcast, featuring Mick Benzo and rapper-turned-actor Ice-T. It was an hour-long, free-form discussion on many topics, the news, pay-per-view boxing, and how Ice-T and his wife Coco got their Instagram handles. One of my boys called up. He says...
3: Do you and Coco have your real name on Instagram? I'm like, what do you mean? And I was Ice somebody else, and Coco was Coco's world. He says, I can get you your real name on Instagram. I mean, what do you mean? He says, I put you as Ice Tea and you as Coco. I said, there's 25 Cocos up already. He says, don't worry about that.
0: <laughs> I'll make them go, like, yeah, yeah,
3: I'll I'll go, away. go away. It was like an assassination. So I'm like, but
0: aside me. from famous rappers, all of a sudden wanting me on their podcasts there was another thing that changed. Lots of people started contacting us wanting to invest. I don't know what it is, but somehow a podcast about me failing to generate FOMO and potential investors generated a lot of FOMO and potential investors. Potential investors who we'd actually been trying to contact.
4: I'm Marco Arment. I am a podcaster, a blogger, and a software developer, and my current app is Overcast.
0: Overcast is a podcasting app, but Marco also developed something before Overcast, a blogging platform you may have heard of called Tumblr. Marco was one of the first people involved in building Tumblr, and when it sold for a billion dollars, Marco became a wealthy man. And I've actually known about Marco for a while. He'd been a guest several times on Planet Money, and when I was just getting started, I reached out to him, saying, I'm making this podcasting company. I know that you're working on a podcasting app. Let's talk. Never heard back from him, until he wrote me an email saying that he and his wife had been in the car listening to -to back-to-back startup podcast episodes, and he wanted to invest. We met in a cafe near Grand Central Terminal in New York City.
4: First of all, I should I should mention I've never invested in anything before, besides like you know the little stocks here and there. But this would be this will be my first investment of this type. Um, and and the main reason I wanted to do it was for strategic value for both me and and hopefully you. Like you know I hope that my presence among your investors is valuable to you in some way. Um, and I and you know from Overcast's perspective, it's useful for me to to have to have. Something I say be heard in the world of major podcast producers. So, at, so, because I have never done this before, let me know if this is totally random and off base. So, I, I'm interested in investing of my own money 50,000. Um, if that's reasonable, I don't know.
0: So, first of all, can I just say to have someone email us, set up a meeting with us, and then right away say, I want to invest 50 grand, that was a, a first for us. But Marco, he didn't even stop there.
4: And then a couple of years ago, I don't, I'm, not, I don't know the details of this really. A couple of years ago, I was awarded some kind of award from an investment firm on the West Coast somewhere called, uh, it, it's called the Tech Fe- Tech Fellows Award or something. And they basically allocated me a hundred thousand dollars of their money that I could invest however I wanted, and then everyone in my class of people who got the award that year would apparently all own it. Or you know, plus them, something like that. And again, I'm very hazy on the details of how this works because I, I I basically get an email from them like once a year saying, "Hey, if anyone hasn't invested their slice slip, you know, don't forget about it."
0: After all those trips to California, all those failed meetings with investors, all that worry and anxiety about what clothes to wear, what shoes, to have 150 grand just fall out of the sky like that was incredible, and it was happening a lot. Another angel investor who I'd been emailing with occasionally got in touch after the podcast aired and came in for fifty grand right away. The Knight Enterprise Fund, the venture arm of the Knight Foundation, which is dedicated to media innovation, they also came in for a hundred grand. And so now we're almost done raising the money. Okay, ready? I'm gonna show you something. Look at that.
1: Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's a lot of money. You wanna read it? Um, Do I want to read it out loud? Yes. Yes. It's... (laughs) I feel weird. Did I put you on the spot? (laughs) Yes. Um, $1,046,388.53. Yep.
0: in the American Podcasting Corporation deposit account.
1: I know. Are you going to change that to Gimlet Media? Yeah.
0: Our name's officially changed.
1: Well, if you change your mind about um, stealing the money (laughs) and running away to another country, just let me know. I'm in. (laughs) They'll never find us. They'll never find us.
0: So there you have it. We're almost done raising the money. We're almost to our $1.5 million goal. And there are just a couple more investors that we're targeting not the typical investors we have been. More on who those people are in the next episode of Startup. Coming up, scenes from that next episode, but first, of course, a word from our sponsor. Coming up on Startup, we make the final pitch to our final group of investors, and we get some expert pointers on what to tell those investors.
1: I would tell someone, like, this isn't your safe bet investment that's gonna make sure you're secure for retirement or your kid's college education is paid for. Invest that somewhere else.
0: Alright, oh, we're editing that out. <laughs> it's coming up on the next episode of Startup. To subscribe to the podcast, go to iTunes, or check out our website, Here's H-E-A-R startup.com. It was designed in partnership with Athletics who were paying but not nearly enough. Definitely check out their work at HearStartup.com, H-E-A-R startup.com There you can also find everything you need to know about the music we used on today's show. Mark Phillips mixed today's episode and wrote and performed our theme song. Build Buildings wrote and performed our special ad music. Editing helped today by PJ Vogt and Alex Goldman. Our show was produced by Caitlin Roberts. And special thanks to Kanyakrit Funkayat I'll let you guys guess what she helped with I'm Alex Bloomberg and I will talk to you soon on the next episode of Startup.